at the way God says to love and and we're discovering what real love is in this series often when we think about love we think about what we would like others to do for us but the definition of love that God gives is it's an action every one of these are action verbs we're supposed to do for others that's love you get two people in a house doing for one another blessing one another it's an incredible environment but it's a mentality that I'm a giver not a taker so here it is in first Corinthians 13 7 there's three things we're talking about today that God uh, defines his love with and that's why I've called it love blesses look at this love always protects always trusts always hopes I looked up always in the Greek and the definition was always it was just really a great translation there 99 times out of 100 is very good but it's not always almost is really good but it's not always and most of the time that's good but it's not always love always protects always trusts always hopes So that's on us to say, okay, Lord, if we're to love that way, we're going to need some help, right? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd show up and that your spirit would touch each heart. Every one of us, Lord, have unique circumstances in our lives. We have uh, relationships that are working, but still need blessing, Lord, to, to be poured in. We have relationships that aren't working, God, and we need healing. And Lord, may we see today that healing begins with us, not with somebody else doing the right thing, but with us, to the very best of our abilities, doing what you're calling us to do. We can only really, truly be responsible for ourselves. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to pour agape love into our hearts today so that we might be blessed in a blessing. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So love always protects, right out of the word, right there, right out of the scripture, and this comes from the, a Greek word, and it means to cover, protect, to cover. It's, it's, it's like a roof of a shelter. So if there was a big storm, uh, if the wind was blowing, you could move into the shelter and be protected by the elements of tremendous weather that, uh, that could do damage. 1 Peter 4.8 <clears throat> says, it talks about cover in this verse too, and it says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers, there's the word, over a multitude of sins. And that's the meaning in in 1 Corinthians 13, this love chapter too. It covers people even though they don't have it all together. You know, by, by implying to people that if they would get their act together, everything would be better, we 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 unwittingly make them feel that they're not good enough. And God wants us to know that love doesn't just speak out what's not working for you and someone else's uh, personality, but love says even though you do have quirks, you do have 
bad spots. You do have wrinkles in your personality. I'm going to cover you even in the worst of times. Love protects. Love covers. It doesn't broadcast the bad news. It doesn't speak gossip behind the scenes about someone who doesn't have it together, or who's made a mistake. It goes the second mile to protect another's reputation. You know, in, in marriage and in, <clears throat> in home, uh, I, I know that every home has some issues, really. A, a, a perfect family is a myth, and it's one of the things that the enemy beats us up with all the time. But it's a myth. We're all broken people getting better and as the healing of God comes and wonderful things can happen and do happen as we get closer to him, but we'll never have it completely together. We never will. And I, I, I don't really like it when I hear a spouse talking about her husband or a husband talking about his wife in a negative way. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think the Lord likes it. Um, I like it when they speak good of one another. Now, now I, I read a book, and it was a, a secular book, that said the best marriages are ones where the spouses have a highly inflated opinion of one another. Meaning, it wasn't, they thought they were so good, it wasn't actually true. They weren't. Now, I, I remember a lady talking to me about her husband, and she was telling me how amazing he was. And I know him pretty well, and I thought, well, he's all right, you know, I don't but you know what? She's, she's right. She's right to, because, you know, that's what I like to say, put that crown a few inches above their heads and they tend to grow into it. Well, love covers. I just want to speak to you about a few ways that I've seen love cover. And this one, you've heard it a dozen times, but it's my testimony. You know, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. I was a prodigal. That means away from God, raised in church, found Christ as a child, but moved away from it when I went into college. I'm not proud of that, but it's true. I tell it because there are a lot of prodigals in this world, and um, they tend to come home when they realize how great God's love is, and that's why I tell it. But um, So I got kicked out of a Christian school because of my behavior. Not a secular college, but a Christian school. I remember a few years ago, I was out here at a football game watching Horizon play, and one of the guys was <clears throat> saying, oh, you're here, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm pastoring this church, and he was at the college where I got kicked out. And uh, he said, you're pastoring? I could tell, you know, this, this, I go, yes, there is a God. That's what I told him, you know. <laughs> he said, do those people know what you were like? Wait a minute, i just wondering. I said, yeah, I've, I've told them that I, I messed up when I was young. But the, 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 the amazing thing was God knew right where I was and he still loved me. And that's what I want every prodigal to know. You haven't done too much. You just haven't. You haven't messed up too much. His love is so amazing that he's just reaching and he's waiting. He's pursuing you with love. He doesn't want to condemn you. He just wants to save you and help you. Well, uh, so I'm suspended really for three weeks. They let me back in, but... I had to leave. Well, I wasn't going to go home. My parents were in Missouri. I, in Missouri, I wasn't going to tell them. Uh, but I'm packing to leave, and someone comes up to me and says, your parents are in the parking lot. And I said, yeah, that's funny, because they live in Missouri, right? He said, no, 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 really, they are. I go, stop. And he goes, no, no, I promise you, they're out there, man. So I walked out there, and there they are. My dad would tell me later, later rather, that he, 
he just heard the Lord say to him, Stan needs you, go to him. Well, he shows up the moment I'm, you know, I just got suspended, the moment I'm leaving, he shows up. And I get in the car. Now, I wasn't doing well with my life, but one thing that's always been true about me, I love my parents. And um, my dad's a preacher, and, and um, he, he was a boxer growing up, so what that means is he could beat the devil out of you. It's an interesting combination, you know, if he, uh, as, a, as a preacher. He's a strong disciplinarian, but he always loved us, was always with us. And I did not want to disappoint them. And I got in that car and I brought shame on the family. That's the way I felt. And uh, my dad, the strong disciplinarian, they knew something wasn't right. You know, I got in the car and they were like, hey, and I had my head down and they said, what's wrong? And so I proceeded to tell them and I started to cry. And um, they listened and I kind of got through it. And then, and then dad said to me, the strong disciplinarian who I expected was going to get on me, that's what I thought was going to happen, showed me in one moment the greatest um, definition of God that I've ever seen. God is love. And with grace, he said to me, son, we still love you and God loves you. He said, people mess up. I messed up when I was young. But we believe in you. And we, you know, if you just turn to the Lord, he'll, he'll forgive you and he'll help you. That was an amazing moment where my dad covered me. You know, when we look at other people who fail, often the church shoots its own wounded. And we're not like Jesus at all. Let the one without sin cast the first stone, is what he said. And we forget where we've come from. All of us are sinners who are saved by grace. Do you know this church would be jammed and overflowing if we had the heart to cover people who were hurting, to cover people who made mistakes, to love them in spite of the wrong that they've done. Because when we love that way, we show who God is. God covers us in situations where circumstances are difficult that aren't even our fault. Trials. One of my favorite stories, <clears throat> I just love it. There's a, a fellow named Terry Gurno, who's an acquaintance, a friend of mine who lives in Washington, state of Washington. And uh, Terry tells a story about being uh, on a Little League baseball team. He wasn't very good. I, I love this time of year. I like Little League baseball on ESPN. I just think it's cool, you know. Forget those guys making all the money. Let me see those kids doing it. It's more fun, you know. Um, but Terry wasn't good. And so he didn't hardly play. And one day he said they put him in the game. And um, he had a couple strikes on him, but he took a big swing with his eyes closed or something like that, he said. And he hit the ball so hard that it went over the fence. So here's a second stringer, never gets to play. The moment of his life as a child, he hits a home run. And as he's rounding the bases, he said the, the best moment in his young life became the worst moment in his life. And here's why. He remembered as he was rounding second base that dads, there, there was a ritual on this team that when a boy hit a home run, the dad would come to the dugout and stick a dollar bill through the fence and the son would take it. His dad wasn't present. His dad had beat him and had abused him. His dad had forsaken and abandoned him. And in that great moment of joy and hitting that home run in elation as he was hopping around the bases, he suddenly realized there was going to come a moment that would be terribly awkward. He had no dad. 
He came into the dugout. Other people celebrated with him. But then in those moments immediately after, they could feel it, feel it as well. But one of the other dads, I just love this. You talk about covering. You talk about love. Got up out of the stands and he walked down. He pulled a dollar bill out of his wallet. And he stuck it through the fence and he said to Terry as he took it, nice hit, son. And then he just went and sat down. Terry said it turned to the greatest moment of his life once again. Love covers. Love blesses. Love cares. Love doesn't just think of self, it thinks of others. And then maybe... My favorite story, I'm just trying to think of the greatest moments that I've heard of and seen in my life where this kind of covering, this kind of love showed up. You've heard of Dave Reaver, right? We've had him here several times to speak. You know that a grenade in Vietnam blew 60% of his, uh, uh, maybe it's 40% of his flesh off of his body. And you know that he's scarred. You know that he travels the nation now. But he never would have if this hadn't happened. He's laying in a hospital He knows his young wife is coming to see him. His face is literally, just one side of it it was just almost skull. And he barely pulled through this thing. It looked like he was going to make it, but he came to the place where he was suicidal. He didn't want his wife to see him this way. He had seen just before a woman lay her wedding ring on, on another soldier's chest on a bed beside him and say, I'm sorry, I can't go through life with you looking like this. And she left. And he didn't want to have a moment like that with his wonderful wife, Brenda. He didn't want her to remember him that way. And he says that he tried to pull the tube and commit suicide. But he pulled the wrong tube and he just got hungry. That's, that's all that happened to him. <laughs> the time came. Brenda couldn't see who he was from his face. So she had to read on the end of the beds as she went by. She saw the name. She walked up to Dave and she looked down. And he said, honey, I'm sorry. I'll never look good for you again. She said, Davey, you were never good looking in the first place. That's not, that's not why I married you. And then she bent down and kissed him. This is the way he says it, where his lips used to be. And she said, don't you go dying on me, Davey. I love you, Davey. And he said, when she says Davey, hey, 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 that's Reaver, not me. But Brenda's love was God's love, and it pulled him through. A man who's gone all over the world, touching millions of people in ministry now. I've seen him in assemblies where young people walk up to him and say, I have so much pain inside. I thought I couldn't make it. I wanted to kill myself, but I see what, what you're going through, and I see what you've been through, and I say, maybe I can make it. They come out to e- evening meetings, and they accept Jesus Christ. And I think Brenda is maybe the best part of that story. Because of God's love. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God wants us to bring comfort to people who are in circumstances that are hard, our family members, our, the, the church family, our neighbors, the world. God wants us to love this way. Love covers, love protects. Second thing today, love trusts. This doesn't mean that we're to be completely gullible. When, it, when the Bible says love always trust, there's a certain degree of vulnerability that wouldn't be wise. I mean, we deal with reality, right? 
I can be gullible at times. I remember I went to Hong Kong as a uh, tourist and, and I got really excited because they were just selling all these expensive items on the street for just dollars. And I bought an IZOD shirt for $3. And I got back to the missionary and I go, look, I got this shirt for $3. And, he, and she said, well, you have to be careful because sometimes those, those aren't real. And it's an IZOD shirt with a little alligator, right? She goes, sometimes those emblems will peel right off. And I went like this, and it peeled off in my hand. So, so I, I can be a little bit gullible, but then I thought, hey, I can put this on any shirt now. This is cool, you know. <laughs> it's not talking about just being gullible and always uh, believing that uh, when, when you have evidence that shows that someone's failed again and again. Uh, it means that even though people aren't perfect, you're willing to give them the benefit of the, do- of the doubt. Now, now uh, that's hard when you've been uh, wronged over and over again. But when Jesus says, forgive 70 times 7, uh, that's, that's a lot. And, and the whole point is, don't stop forgiving. Not, you know, count up 490 uh, to 490 and then we're out, you know. It's, 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 it's keep that forgiving heart. And this is the way he's loved us, right? We failed him over and over again. I have a friend who says, I don't, I don't like to uh, play golf because it's the only time I think cuss words. Well, I've been with some people who don't just think them, you know, out there and, and believers. And, 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 you know, we've just failed in little ways and even in big ways over and over again. And he keeps loving us and he keeps forgiving us and he keeps embracing us. And you know what? As a result of his love, you're, you're getting better. You can't be sinless, but you can sin less and less all the time as he sanctifies and gives you power and strength and you begin to grow and become more and more like him. You get better and better because he just keeps loving you. And that's what it's talking about here, giving people the benefit of the doubt and having that heart to believe in them. And this should be understood in in the sense of keeping faith in someone. I'm gonna still believe in you. We all need to know that we're loved and trusted. It's a fantastic atmosphere to grow in. Now, let me say that again. We all need to know that we're loved and trusted because it is a fantastic atmosphere to grow in. Okay, I've made mistakes, but I think she believes in me. It gives me that strength. Okay, I've, I blew it here, but not only does God believe me, my pastor said, son, God's got something planned that's great for your life. It's a great atmosphere to grow in, and that's why God wants us to have this trust and belief and this uh, faith that is kept in one another. No one's perfect. Your marriage will never be perfect because you're in it. Romans 3.10 says, as the scriptures say, there is no one who always does what is right, not even one. Think of how the atmosphere could potentially change in a home with with children and husband and in a church and with neighbors. When the emphasis is on what they do well and the potential you see in them rather than what they do wrong. Think of the difference there. I, I can tell you as a, as a former athlete uh, that I had coaches that didn't believe in me 
and I didn't perform as well as a result. I had coaches that would say negative things to me on a regular basis, and it, it, it didn't help. Then I had coaches who believed in me and thought I was, they made me feel that they thought I was better than I thought I was. And somehow it pulled me up, those encouraging words, that instruction. I was more willing to hear it. You know, when people talk down at you, 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 you tend to only hear that and you can't hear the other stuff that's instruction because you get wounded. My dad has an old Ford Taurus. It's a 2000. 13 years old, and he loves it. Uh, I don't see the car the way he does. It's just a normal car, but I get in it, and we'll be driving down the road, and he'll tell me what a good car it is. This thing has 100,000 miles, and it still drives smooth, and I've never had serious problems with this car, and and man, this is a good car. And he just kind of goes on and on, and I'm like, okay. But here's the deal. I don't feel the way he does about the car, but it makes me feel good that he likes his car, that he's content, that he sees the value. He doesn't see what it is, and it isn't brand new. It doesn't have low miles, but it looks good because he's taking care of it, and it's taking care of him. He doesn't covet another car. He likes the one he has. And there's something about uh, verbally saying you like something or even getting down to it, someone. When you verbalize good things about your spouse to others, your spirit starts to soak it in and really believe it at a high level. Those positive words, those affirming words, away from her, away from him, as you speak them, um, you, you, really, you really believe it at even a deeper level. You start to. Exodus 20, 17 says this, you shall not covet your, your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. One of the subtle ways the enemy will get us is um, we'll see a, 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 a woman in, a, in, in another marriage who we think maybe is more godly. And I've heard godly men say this before. I wish I had a wife like her. Stop, stop. Stop it. You're not helping yourself. And you're, you're making yourself feel worse about her. Start to invest in her. Start to nurture her. Start to bless her. Put that crown above her head. And vice versa for the husband. Love them. Put trust and belief in them. Pull them forward with these things. There's no perfect wife or perfect husband. We're all flawed. We're all broken to some degree. Becoming more and more like Jesus every day, but no one perfect. And God says with this word right here, I'm going to show you how to love in such a way that you can be healed and have the best life possible on this earth. That's what he's doing with us, showing us how to have, with these words, with this truth, the best life possible on this earth. And we can believe it and start to put it in play, or we can say, no, I want to just do things the way I've done it. It feels good for me to vent. And if I keep it pent up, it's, you know, it could be terrible. But God says, and are, are we going to trust him? I want you to trust and believe in one another. Even those who fail at times, I want you to believe in them like I believe in you and keep calling you and loving you. Robert Schuler said it this way. This is why these things are so important. I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. 
So when you hear negative words from people you love on a regular basis, even though they may have all this, you know, let's say this encompasses their love and they have this 10% of things they don't like about you and they love the 90, but if they give voice to the 10% and that's all you ever hear, you know what you're going to think? She doesn't like me. I'm not very good. He doesn't like me. I'm not very good. Right or wrong, we define ourselves through other people's eyes. Tell me enough times that I'm stupid and I will believe you. Tell me enough times that I'm bright and I might eventually agree. There's a um, poet, a German poet, who said it this way. His name's Goethe. Treat a man as he appears to be and you make him worse. But treat a man as if he were what he potentially could be and you make him what he should be. And these are the words of men, but they're lending credence to this truth from God's word about trusting. When Pastor Randy spoke about family some time back, Randy, it kept coming to my mind as I was studying this. He said, no matter what, always believe in your family. Always let them know that they're loved. Always let them know that you know they're going to make it, no matter where they're at. And as I read this, Randy, I just kept coming back to that word. And, and Randy's got a great family, so he's a guy that we can, we can listen to. He's been a great dad, a great husband. And, and, and this is what this word is saying. Trust, believe. Loving the way God asks us to love is the key to helping people become their best. The kind of love that trusts them and sees them in the best light. Now let me say that again. Sees them in the best light. It's not lying, it's not denying, but it sees them in the best light. It stays with them in difficult circumstances. That is the kind of love that transforms. I mean, over and over, you'll hear it in a testimony. She believes in me. He loved me even though. And we can love this way because this is the way that God has loved us. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's what God said to you. Nathaniel came home and he was heartbroken. He'd just been fired from his job. His wife, rather than responding with anxiety, surprised him with joy when she said these words, now you can write your book. He wasn't so positive. No man feels good when they lose a job. He didn't feel like he could support his family. And he said, well, what will we live on while I'm writing it? To his amazement, she opened a drawer and she revealed a lot of money she'd saved from her housekeeping budget. I always knew you were a man of genius. She's saying this, remember, to a guy who just got fired. The boss evidently did not think this. I always knew you would write a masterpiece someday. She believed in her husband, and because she did, he wrote, and because he wrote, every library in America has a copy of The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. It'd be easy when your husband comes home to get anxious and cry and say, if you had, and what are we going to do? But something like that can just change the atmosphere. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death and often we put the emphasis on death there and be careful not to say wrong but I like to put it on life. 
The tongue has the power of life. You have power to help someone become more like Jesus by telling them what you see that is good, by telling them that you know that they've, they've got wonderful things coming because of what God has placed in them. Love always trusts and believes. And the third thought today, love always hopes. This is a quote by Les and Leslie Parrott. They are uh, Christian counselors, Christian psychologists. And, and they say, hope is what empowers us to draw on our reservoir of determination and make commitment to improve our circumstances. Hope transforms. That's why love always hopes. Even in some of the most hopeless situations. Love's hope always depends on Jesus Christ. These aren't things that we, that these traits, these actions that I'm talking about today, these verbs that are spoken here, trust, believe, protect, hoping, hopes. These aren't things that we, we conjure up in our own strength and ability. We get, we get the strength to move in these things through Jesus Christ. He's in us. It's the way he is. We're trying to become more and more like him every day, right? We are followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not really, this, this might shock you, but I'm not tremendously fond of, of, of calling ourselves Christians these days uh, because I think it's become like Catholic or uh, just a word of how we were raised or the one we choose rather than really deeply what's in someone's heart. I really like it better this way. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not against saying Christian. I'm just saying so many people say it and it, means, it doesn't mean anything. But when you say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that's a whole different deal. And if we're followers, then these, these actions we're talking about today, he's in us. These are things that he wants to bring out. So we find hope through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In even, even the most hopeless situation, Psalm 39, 7 but now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. This is a story, a true story, in a book by Max Licato called A Love Worth Giving. And the story goes like this. I want to read it to you. By all rules, Skinner was a dead man. With these words, Arthur Bressy begins retelling the day he found his best friend in a World War II Japanese concentration camp. The two were high school buddies. They grew up together in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania. They played ball together. They skipped school. They double-dated together. And Arthur and Skinner were inseparable. It made sense then that when one joined the army, the other did as well. They rode the same troop ship to the Philippines. And that's where they were separated. Skinner was on baton when it fell to the Japanese in 1942. And Arthur Bressy was captured a month later. Through the prison grapevine, Arthur learned the whereabouts of his friend. Skinner was near death in a nearby camp. And it was divided into two sections. One for those expected to recover. And the other for those who were given no hope and were going to die. Those expected to die lived in a barracks that they called Zero Ward. And that's where Arthur found his high school buddy, Skinner. 
He called his name and out of the barracks walked the 79-pound shadow of a friend he'd once known. And here's what he writes. I stood at the wire fence of the Japanese prisoner of war camp on Luzon and watched my childhood buddy, caked in filth and racked with the pain of multiple diseases, totter towards me. He was dead. Only his boisterous spirit hadn't left his body. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. His blue eyes, watery and dulled, locked on me and wouldn't let me go. Malaria, amoebic dysentery, pellagra, scurvy, beriberi. Skinner's body was a dormitory of tropical diseases. He couldn't eat, he couldn't drink, he was nearly gone. Arthur didn't know what to do or say. His five minutes were nearly up. He began to finger the heavy knot of a handkerchief tied around his neck. In it was his class high school ring. At the risk of punishment, he had smuggled the ring into the camp, knowing the eminence of diseases and the scarcity of treatment. He'd been saving it to barter for medicine or food for himself if the time came. But one look at his buddy Skinner and he knew he couldn't save it for himself any longer. As he told his friend goodbye, he slipped the ring through the fence into Skinner's frail hand and told him to wheel and deal with it. Skinner objected, but Arthur insisted. He turned and left, not knowing if he would ever see his friend alive again. What kind of love would do something like that? It's one thing to give a gift to the healthy. It's one thing to share a treasure with the strong, but to give your best to the weak, to entrust your treasure to the dying, that's something else. Indeed, that's something, saying something to them, it's saying this, I believe in you. I have hope for you. And the gesture declares, don't despair, don't give up. It's no wonder Paul included this phrase in the definition of love, love always hopes. Do you know anyone who's standing on Skinner's side of the fence? If your child is having trouble in school, you do. If your husband struggles with depression or your wife has been laid off, you do know. If you have a friend with cancer, if the class mocks your classmate, if your son doesn't make the squad, if you know anyone who is afraid or has failed or is frail, then you know someone who is in need of that ring of belief and hope. And what's more, you and I can give them one. You may, by virtue of your words or ways, change that person's life forever. Arthur did. You want to know what happened to Skinner? Here's the rest of the story. He took the ring and he buried it in the barracks floor. The next day, he took the biggest risk of his life. He approached the kindness of the guards and passed him the ring through the fence. Takai was the guard's name. And he asked Skinner, is it valuable? And Skinner assured him that it was. And the soldier smiled. He slipped the ring into his pocket and he left. And a couple days later, he walked past Skinner and he dropped a package at his feet. Sulfonylamide tablets. A day later with limes to combat scurvy. And then he came with a new pair of pants and some canned beef. Within three weeks, Skinner was on his feet. Within three months, he was taken to the healthy side of the sick camp. In time, he was able to work. As far as Skinner knew, he was the only American 
who ever left the zero, zero ward alive. Both of those friends returned to their hometown of Mark, Mount Carmel in Pennsylvania. One day soon after their arrival, Skinner came over for a visit. He had a gift to give his friend a small box, and Arthur knew immediately what it was. It was an exact copy of the high school ring that he'd given his buddy. After a lame attempt at humor, Skinner said, don't lose that, it cost me $18. (laughs) He gave his friend a warm smile and said, that ring, Artie, it saved my life. When I uh, read that story, it made me think of a ring in the Bible that's spoken of. When the prodigal had left his family and he went on his way into the city and he lived a wild life, whatever that comprised, he he lost everything because of it. And when he came home, dad was, this is what the Bible says, talking about the prodigal coming home. The dad, who's a type and shadow of God the Father, that's what the story's talking about, you and me and God. When that boy turned for home and said, I've done wrong, perhaps my father will just let me uh, be a, a worker in the fields. But when his dad saw him, he ran towards him. He put a robe around him and he put a ring on his finger. And that ring not, not only signified you're a member of the family, it sig- signified that you ha- I'm gonna give you even some authority and some power. You're a member of the family. You can, you can move on my behalf because you're, you're my family. You can do things with all my resources because you're a member of my family. And that's what God did for you and I. He slipped a ring on our fingers when we'd done nothing but sin against him. And he said, I love you, I want you. And he brought hope to our lives and our situation and we have eternal life because of this. Can we do that for others? Can we say to the one who's downtrodden and hasn't done great, even in our family, I have hope in Jesus and hope for you. I have belief that God's gonna do amazing things. I see good in you. Can we put that ring on their fingers? No matter how bad, bleak your situation, no matter how close to death it is. And I just have this sense as I prayed this week that there's some marriages that are on the rocks here. I don't know of one. I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't. But I felt like today, I even told them in our prayer before the service in there, I feel like today God's gonna heal some marriages. And it starts with just turning things around and, and loving by giving the way God's word says to I believe the Lord wants to touch hearts today. Whatever your circumstances, however close to death, where it be marriage, a relationship with your child, work that you've lost, here's what it says in Psalm 42, 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace gave us eternal comfort and wonderful hope. 